Get ready to talk some baseball. Welcome to the King's Corner, talking baseball with Jim Leyritz. From spring training to the World Series and beyond to the postseason, Jim and his guests tell it like it is and have all of the bases covered. Now, here's Jim Leyritz. Good morning to all of you out there here on the West Coast. Good afternoon to my East Coast buddies. And of course, you in the middle, well, happy brunch. Welcome to the first show, and if you heard it, The King's Corner, talking baseball with me, Jim Leyritz. We are going to be having one heck of a time. Baseball right now is in the midst of the postseason, something I do know a little bit about. And we are going to have some interesting guests on here. We are going to be voicing our opinions. We are going to be telling you what we think. And even though as players we've been in this circle before, we want to hear from you. I want to hear your emails. I want to hear your phone calls. I want to hear what you want to know. I know what goes on. I've been there before. You don't, and you may have some questions for me. So I want to give you my numbers, 1-888-346-9144, or you can email at info at jimlayritz.com. Give me your questions. Give me your opinions. Let's talk. Let's get this thing started. All right? Tonight, today, actually, we will be talking. My first guest will be David Cohn former New York Yankee, Yes Network executive, uh, and also announcer for the Yankees this past season. David and I will be talking about, of course, postseason. We will be talking about what happened with the Yankees last night, of course, being eliminated by the Detroit Tigers, as most of you may have seen. We will be also talking about what happens, because anybody knows in New York, when you lose, when you don't get to the World Series, that somebody or something happens and somebody will pay a price. David will be here to give us all those answers. So right now, start answering, start sending some of your questions in. Start sending some things you may want me to ask him. All right? And I will look, I will be watching those, and I may even use your question if you send it in at the right time. Second half of the show, we will be starting off with Jeffrey Lyons, famous movie critic, also a huge Boston Red Sox fan. Talk a little bit about, of course, the collapse. We'll talk a little bit about what he thinks, the direction that, that the Red Sox will be going in after their thing. How can you believe the two biggest teams in the East, the Yankees and the Red Sox, are not going to be in the postseason anymore? Please send me your questions. Send me your things. Let's talk about why the, what, what these teams didn't do and why they're not there anymore. And maybe we'll also talk about the Detroit Tigers and what they did to get there, the Texas Rangers, what they will be doing to get there. This is going to be a great postseason ALCS coming up. And, of course, tonight, tonight's going to be interesting, too. If you're a National League fan, if you're in there in the Central, you've got some great matchups tonight. we got the Milwaukee Brewers playing the Arizona Diamondbacks, Ian Kennedy versus Giovanni Gallardo. All right, you can tune into that game. That's the first game today. And, of course, the second game, to me, is the one that you want to tune into, that one you want to watch with the St. Louis Cardinals and the Philadelphia Phillies. That game right there has so many underlying toes. Number one, Roy Holiday versus Chris Carpenter, two guys that were drafted by the Toronto Blue Jays and pitched together. And now for the first time in their long careers, will be pitching against each other in a decisive fifth game. I tell you, I, I'm excited. I don't know about you guys, but I'm excited. I'm a baseball fan, but also as a player, 
anytime we get into a game five, anytime it's a deciding game, who knows what's going to happen? Everything's on the line. We saw it last night. CC Sabathia came in, you know, in the fifth inning. You know, anything could happen. It's basically what they come in and they tell us. This is all hands on deck. You know, if you don't win today, we don't come back tomorrow. So it's going to be interesting for me to see what some of these coaches do, what some of these managers do uh, with their rosters throughout this. Of course, like I said, we got a little bit of a taste of a game five last night with the Detroit Tigers and the New York Yankees. I'm telling you, that was, you know, this is what the postseason is all about. And it's really been great, I think, if you're a baseball fan, what we've experienced even towards the end of the season. We had one of the greatest days of baseball on the last day of the season. And this postseason, now we're going down to three series that go to a game five. Last night, New York Yankees, Detroit Tigers. I think everyone felt that the New York Yankees had to be the team to beat last night. They had everything in their favor, playing in New York, going back to going back and playing in Yankee Stadium, where most teams hate to go and play game five. They had Yvonne Nova on the mound, of course, their, their, their best pitcher over the last two months of the season, and, of course, so far this postseason. And they were not going to see Justin Verlander. Now, a lot of people questioned Jim Leyland for coming out and tipping his hand and saying, listen, we're not even going to think about using Justin, using Justin Verlander. A lot of people say, well, why would you do that? Why wouldn't you just keep that bullet in your back pocket? Well, Jim Leyland didn't care. Jim Leyland said, listen, I have a team that won our division. I have a team that we used all 25 guys. And Justin Verlander, yes, he won 24 games for us. But you know what? We are not going to waste this kid because if we do win today, we're going to need him down the road. And I have confidence in all these other guys in in this locker room. And I tell you what, it worked. He made a move also in the in the lineup to start start Kelly at third base. And what does he do? First time up, hits a home run. This is what I love about the postseason. You know what? You can have your Billy Beans and your Money Balls and all these statistics and all these things that you have. The bottom line comes down to what you feel. If you know the game, what do you feel? Go with your gut. And I think if you saw last night, this is what Jim Leland did. Unbelievable, un, unprecedented, I think, for a team. And I think Jim Leland's comment last night about it takes a little extra. It feels a little better to win in Yankee Stadium in game five. And he's not going to say he didn't shy away from it. He just said, I have to admit. It feels good to be doing this because this is the, considered the best team in baseball. We came in and we beat them at their field. You got to wonder what's going on there today. And I'm sure every talk show, every radio show in New York is talking about what is going to happen. And that's why we're going to have David Cohn on today to discuss a little bit about what he thinks. Someone that's been there all year, someone that has seen the things that go that we haven't seen to give us a little better perspective on you know, what happens to CC Sabathia? What happens to Jorge Posada? Is A-Rod, after another dismal postseason, going to, going to be able to, to bounce back? Mark Teixeira, Brian Cashman, there's so many questions the Yankees have that I hope David will be able to give us a lot of the answers to. So look forward to that. So, And then, like I said, the second half, we'll talk a little bit more about the Red Sox. But right now, I believe we have David Cohn on the line. David, are you there? Yeah, I'm here, Jimmy. How you doing, man? 
Hey, Coney, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. Hey, listen, you, uh, you worked all year long as an announcer for the Yes Network covering the Yankees. Uh, I'm sure you were there last night to see what was going on, felt the electricity of the crowd. Tell me a little bit about what you saw last night and, and, and what you thought. Well, you know, I, I saw uh, you know a rookie pitcher and Ivan Nova for the Yankees who probably started squeezing the ball a little bit, and his sixth and seventh pitch of the games were were kind of hangers out over the plate that he gave up back to back home runs on, and and it looked like that's that's probably why they took him out of the game because he he talked about a little forearm tightness, you know, some stiffness in his forearm, and that's usually nerves, you know, Jimmy. When you're on the mound, you tend to squeeze the ball a little bit and. You're in a game five. You're, you're, you have to understand, he's still a rookie pitcher. As good as he's been, he's never pitched in a game five before where it's do or die. And uh, yeah, I think probably he squeezed the ball a little bit and never really settled into a groove. And, you know, Girardi decided to go right to the bullpen. I think Phil Hughes did a great job. Uh, you know, I thought initially maybe it was a little soon to make those kind of moves, but I didn't realize that Nova had a little tightness in his forearm. But I think all those moves really kind of worked, you know, with the exception of Sabathia, who gave up one run, but, you know, he had four strikeouts as well in a, in a little under two innings. So, Well, that was going to be my question, David. Yeah. You know, yeah. the situation with Hughes as, as a starter, as a guy that could go a little longer, did you think maybe he should have stayed with Phil Hughes a little bit longer? Yeah, he could have. He certainly could have stayed with Hughes a little bit longer there. Hughes was throwing the ball exceptionally well. Uh, he had his velocity back. Uh, so certainly, you know, I think he could have stayed with Hughes a little bit longer, but you know, it's hard to fault when you go to when you go to your bullpen in the in the third inning and your bullpen goes the rest of the game and only gives up one run. You know, it, it, they did their job. You know, there's seven innings of one run ball. It was really you got to put this one on the Yankees offense. You know, overall, even though you know there was a lot of moves by Girardi and a lot of different relievers used, including Sabathia, who's never relieved. But you know what? The bullpen did its job. They only gave up one run. All right, let's talk a little bit about the offense, then, like you mentioned. You know, it's, it's a situation where, you know, we looked at this team all year long. We talked about how the pitching wasn't great and that the offense would get them through. And, of course, you know, the, the season that they had, that was proof. We've talked about it before, David. You and I have been in this locker room before talking about things. We've played on these fields. We know when it comes down to the postseason, it's about pitching and defense. Tell us a little bit about what you think as far as what happened to the offense that was so dominant all year long. Yeah, it is, it is remarkable because the Yankees had both speed and power this year. You know, Gardner and Granderson have a lot of speed, and, and of course, the power side with Teixeira and A-Rod. It's just, it's kind of a mystery. It looked to me like both, uh, you know, Alex Rodriguez and Mark Teixeira had some good pitches to hit, you know, and then looking at some of the replays, they had some pitches up and out of the plate that they fouled off and missed, and, you know, I think when they go back and look at the videotape, they're gonna, they're gonna realize that, uh, you know, that they had some pitchers to handle, you know. Sometimes you got to give credit to the pitchers. If the pitchers make great pitches, as you know, Jimmy, you know, sometimes you can really shut down good offensive teams. But I'm not sure that was the case last night. I saw a lot of pitches that Fister threw that were up and out over the plate, and the Yankees had good swings at them, but they just couldn't quite catch up, or they, or they popped them up, or they fouled them off. And, you know, I think you got to put this one right in the middle of the Yankees' batting order. You know, those guys had pitches to hit, and they missed them, and that cost them. Dave, okay, David, we have a lot of questions coming up, too. Of course, now we all know that if the Yankees don't get to the World Series, it's a, it's a very big disappointment. They got a lot of decisions to make. They got a lot of question marks coming up. Um, what do you think? How do you feel about uh, the Yankees um, 
what they're going to be doing. I mean, you, 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 like I said, you know, there's going to be something done. There's going to be some moves made. And, uh, I, I want to, I want to know what you think. Be, like I said, being there all year in the locker room, you've been around those guys. You probably have a, a more, you know, more of a better feel than I would ever have of about how happy some of these guys are being there. Some, maybe some guys that aren't happy being there. And, uh, what do you think as far as, uh, as far as what, what the Yankees are going to be doing this off season? You know, it really starts at the top, Jimmy. I mean, you really, you know, in this off season, you start from the general manager first. You have to make a decision about Brian Cashman, you know, and uh, he's had some mixed signals. I think, you know, there's been some whispers in Brian's camp or some people close to Brian Cashman that have said that maybe he might want to go to Chicago for the Cubs job if that presents itself or, or maybe go somewhere else and try to build a championship. And Cashman, uh, I think, has said that he wants to come back, but I think that starts right there. You have to, as an organization, uh, you have to make a decision quickly with your general manager or whether he's back or not. And then you go right to your number one starter with CC Sabathia and talk to his agent and see whether he's going to opt out of his contract. He's got a language in his contract and an opt out. He could opt out and become a free agent this year, this offseason. So that's a big question there as well. What? And and that's a big one, David. And let, let me ask you because you were a guy that kind of bounced around. You were a guy that kind of, you know, went went from a couple of different teams towards the end. If you're CC Sabathia and you look at what you your option right now, what do you what would you do? Well, I think his agent uh, is going to advise him to probably opt out. Uh, you know, I would have my agent really talk to the Yankees and uh, try to work out a deal to stay in New York and maybe rearrange or renegotiate his contract and maybe get a couple of extra years on the back end of security for him. But, you know, he's got the hammer right now, without a doubt. I mean, the, the Yankees rotation needs him badly. Uh, he is a true horse. He's left-handed. and He's a power guy. Uh, I mean, if, if he doesn't use that leverage, uh, it would be, to me, to me, it would be a mistake. I think he needs to, to exercise that option, opt out, or at least talk to the Yankees about some sort of a renegotiation if he doesn't opt out and, and get a better deal if he can. I think that's just the nature of the game. I think, it, you know, you have to work hard to get leverage in this game. A lot of guys never get that kind of leverage. Uh, he has it. I think he should use it. I think his agent will advise him to use it. But it still comes down to how badly he wants to pitch in New York. Does he want to stay here after his three years here? Has um, he adjusted? You know, if you remember when Sabathia first came over to the Yankees, he was a West Coast guy. You know, it was really hard to talk him into coming to New York. And now that he's been here, it'd be interesting to see how he really feels about it. Well, that's what I was going to ask you. If you had a chance to talk to him at all during during some of your yes broadcast, that you know how he feels, or do you get a feeling? Is he happy there? Is is he is his family happy there? Do you what What do you think? If you have to give me some odds, what do you think the odds of him staying? Well, I think they're pretty good. You know, I, I think you know he's won a championship here already. Uh, I don't think this postseason uh, leaves him with a good taste in his mouth. I think he's he's one of those guys that wants to come back next year and look for redemption. Uh, he didn't pitch well in the postseason. He takes a lot of responsibility and be the number one guy. He's very accountable. I think his family has adjusted to New York. At least he says so uh, publicly. Now it's hard to know what a guy says privately with his family, but you know I think he does enjoy New York. I think he is a very responsible guy. Uh, I, I I do anticipate him being back with the Yankees. All right, let's let's switch gears a little bit to the, to the catching situation. Of course, Jorge Posada, and I don't know, were you down in the uh, locker room last night, or were you able to, or were you just kind of just hanging out at the stadium? Yeah, I didn't really. I, you know, the locker room was pretty tough, and Jorge, uh, I didn't actually go in. I was going to, but I, you know, it was it was a really busy clubhouse. Uh, 
last night, and then I saw Jorge Posada's interview after the game, and you can tell how emotional he was. Uh, you know, he could not even finish his interview. Uh, so that, that kind of tells you that he knows that the writing's on the wall. I think the question with Jorge is going to be is not whether he comes back with the Yankees or not, is is whether he tries to get a job somewhere else. You know, um, whether this postseason, the way he hit, uh, gives him, you know, sort of the you know, the chance to go somewhere else next year and be a DH. And uh, knowing Jorge and knowing, uh, you know, how stubborn he is and how prideful he is, you know, I would not be surprised to see him playing somewhere else next year as a DH in the American League. All right, David, we're going to take a quick break real quick. Are you? Can you join me for that a little bit more? Sure, sure, no problem. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and then we will come back, and we will talk more Jorge Posada. We will talk A-Rod, Teixeira, Brian Cashman's status, and a few more things with David Cohn. We'll be right back. Internet flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports. Jim Lairids is a two-time World Series champion, motivational speaker, and author of Catching Heat, a brutally honest book about the highs and lows of a professional athlete and life after baseball. Most people know Jim as a man who has always beaten the odds. Jim has never forgotten that with hard work, dedication, and God's power, one can overcome anything. Visit JimLayritz.com to get a copy of Jim's book or to schedule Jim for your next corporate fundraiser or event. The address again is JimLayritz.com. Welcome to Inside the Trenches, everyone, an interactive show that is sweeping across the nation here on Voice America Sports, simply with your host, 12-year pro football veteran, yes, of course, the voice of America, R. Cal Trula. We're bringing it to you today, starts at noon, and so does Inside the Trenches, 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, bringing you the ins and outs, letting you know what's going on in and around sports and also in and around your neck of the woods. So if you want to be on the show and you want to be a part of the show, simply go to InsideTheTrenches.com and let's make this this thing happen for you, the interactive show that is sweeping across the nation, inside the trenches, your show. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. You're inside the King's Corner, talking baseball with Jim Lairitz. It's time to hear from you. Call in to our live show at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. You can also send an email to info at jemlayritz.com. Now, back to the show. Hey, welcome back, everybody. And we are in the middle of a conversation with David Cohn, talking about, of course, the unfortunate if you're a Yankee fan, the demise of the Yankees last night against the Detroit Tigers. And we've been talking a little bit about what the, what the situation in New York is going to be. Of course, that is the big talk of the town in New York, all, everywhere, about what's going to happen and what the Yankees are going to do. And we've been talking a little bit with David. And, David, we're going to pick up from where we talked about Jorge Posada and his situation. Now, here's a guy that's been there for six, 16, 17 years, uh, has been the heart and soul of this team. In the beginning, it looked like maybe he was done. But I think the second half, and I think what he did this postseason, actually showed people that he's got a little bit of life left, and maybe, maybe he needs another opportunity. And maybe it's not New York, but 
what do you think? Do you think it, you think there's a possibility he could come back here? And if not back here, definitely somewhere else. Yeah, you know, I just think that the, the chances are pretty remote uh, that he would be back with the Yankees next year, mainly because of all the, the young catchers that are that are ready to play. Jesus Montero, Austin Romine, of course, Russell Martin had a great year as well. And he's on a one-year deal, too, Russell Martin is. So I just, yeah, there's a numbers game there that just doesn't work for Jorge. And um, the Yankees don't believe, I think, that he can catch anymore. Uh, I think he felt like he could have this year in a backup role, at least caught some games. Uh, I think he was really bitterly disappointed about that. Uh, you know, his poor Hayes are very, very, got a lot of pride. And, uh, you know, he may want to go somewhere else and try to play. I just don't see that being with the Yankees next year. But I could see him somewhere else trying to play, maybe as a backup catcher, DH in the American League. All right. And then, uh, yeah, okay. I think the same thing. I feel like, you know what, Posada to me showed that maybe getting used to the DH was part, part of the problem. I mean, here's a guy that you completely was catching 120 games a year and then went strictly to DHing. And I think in, in a way, maybe the Yankees made a mistake there by, by not just really slowly easing him into that and saying, hey, listen, you're going to catch once a week. You're going to catch maybe, you know, be like I was, a personal catcher to somebody. At least kind of just slowly wean him. It was almost like an addict where you just say, okay, you got to quit cold turkey and we expect you to, you know, be ready. I think that may have a little bit of to do with it, and I'm hoping that uh, as he got used to it, maybe the Yankees did see that he, this guy still got something left. But like you said, I think some of the things that happened during the year with with the Joe Girardi situation, of course, with the the opting out of the lineup the one time uh, that caused a lot of problems. That the uh, the writing may be on the wall that he may be going elsewhere. So, yeah, uh, I, I think that's that's the case. You know, I think he was bitterly disappointed in how he was treated by the organization in the off season. As you said, uh, he was not given a chance to to be a backup catcher at least uh, when Russell Martin was signed to be the number one catcher. So, no doubt, Jorge Posada had some issues with the, the Yankee organization. Uh, he finished on a strong note, as you said, getting used to DH a little bit better towards the end of the year. So. It's going to be interesting to see what Jorge does, but irregardless, he's going to go down as one of the greatest Yankee catchers of all time. What a wonderful career he's had. Uh, 17 years as a Yankee, one of the true core four guys. Uh, I just believe it's going to be down to core three next year with just, uh, you know, Mariano Rivera kind of, and, 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 and Derek Jeter. And, you know, uh, Posada's gone, Pettit's gone. So, uh, you know, it's, it's uh, it, it, you know, that Yankee, Yankee core. Dynasty is dwindling, and I think Fasado will be gone next year. Exactly. We're down to almost two, so it's going to be tough. Now let me ask you some other questions about a couple guys that are going to be coming back. And one of the guys that, of course, everyone is picking on today, and then, of course, we, we have to talk about it, is A-Rod. And, of course, you know, his postseason uh, demises have always been a big thing. He, he kind of kind of got people off his back for a little while, a year or two ago. But the last two years – his numbers are just just have really gotten worse. And I know he was injured a lot this year. David, when I look at this, when I watch this, it reminds me of when you and I played in ninety six and we had you know, Joe Torrey was our manager and watching A Rod struggle like he did, you know, I remember, you know, Joe sitting down Tino Martinez and Wade Boggs and keeping Charlie Hayes and Cecil Fielder in the lineup. Do you think or would you have ever thought maybe Joe might have had maybe done the same thing or possibly maybe made that move with A Rod? You know, it's hard to say, you know, in a five-game series, uh, you know, his other option would have been to put, uh, you know, Nunez in there, an exciting young player with a lot of speed, and played well for the Yankees this year. But 
it's it's so hard to pull the plug on a, on a five game series like that. Uh, you know, based on seven or eight or nine at bats, uh, because A Rod can change the game with one swing. And, you know, and I even felt even at the end of the game in that last at bat that he had a chance to hit a home run. You know, that Valverde might leave one out of the plate, and, and A Rod could still shoot him the other way or, or or get into one and tie that game up. So. That's a tough decision to make when you have somebody with one swing in the back can turn everything around. Uh, A-Rod, to his credit, did play excellent defense in this series. He made a number of excellent defensive plays at third base, so it wasn't all one-sided. But I see the whole middle of the order really as a problem. When you combine A-Rod, Teixeira, and Swisher in the middle of the Yankee order, those guys had multiple opportunities and a lot of good pitches to hit, and they just, just missed them. A lot of swings just fouled off, just popped up. You know, it wasn't as if there was great pitches made on them all the time. You know, they had their pitches to hit, all three of those guys. And I think when they when they look at this series and they look at the videotape, they're going to realize they had some balls to hit and they they missed them. Right, exactly. I think and that's and that's a big part of it. You know, those guys combined hit about 150 total. And of course, like you said, Robinson Cano could only do so much. And you know, had another outstanding series. And here's one guy that I think. Watching him on a daily basis has got to be something that that had to be thrilling for you this year, and just what he's been able to do uh, over over the last two or three years, establishing himself as one of the most dangerous hitters in the game. Uh, tell me a little bit about what you think about him and what what, what you think his future holds. Well, you know, it, it's interesting with Robinson Cano. You know, when he when he went to the All Star game and, and won the home run hitting contest with his father pitching to him, he really seemed to take it to a new level. Uh, his power game has gotten a lot better. Um, you know, we always thought he was kind of a smashy line drive hitter, but he's really started to drive the ball much better. Started to look to turn on the ball a lot better, too. Those pitches inside, when you try to get inside on Cano now, he's much better at cutting you off and beating you to the spot and hit some home runs at that short porch at Yankee Stadium. So Cano continues to improve. He, you know, who knows with him how good he could be. He's clearly an MVP caliber player, and now that he's got the power stroke going, he, he's really starting to feel it. I, I expect him to his home run numbers to jump over the next year and, and over the next several years as well, uh, especially when he batted cleanup. When he batted cleanup this year, when A-Rod was hurt, he probably did some of the most damage he's done and uh, really seemed to come into his own. All right, we've got a couple more minutes, David. Let me, let me finish with two, different, two more questions. The first question I'm going to ask you, Brian Cashman's status. Yeah, you know, I think that one's up in the air, to tell you the truth. Um, it's quite possible that, uh, you know, maybe a 60, 40%, 60% he's back, 40% he's not back. I mean, I, I don't, I, I'm not sure that it, it's a foregone conclusion that, that Brian Cashman will be back next year, to tell you the truth. I think there is a chance over the next couple of days, as, as the Yankee ownership thinks about it and talks to Brian Cashman, that it, it's, it's, it's possible he could end up going somewhere else, depending on the interest in him and some of the other clubs. You know, the Chicago Cubs GM job is up for grabs. That's, a, that's kind of a glamour job that everybody kind of loves to talk about and, and would love to have a crack at. So, you know, it's not as if, you know, he's going to Seattle or, or someplace, you know, in a really small market. The Chicago Cubs is a glamour job. It's out there. Brian Cashman's out there. So it's only natural that you think uh, it's a possibility that, that those two, those two uh, people hook up, the, the Cubs and, and Cashman. Uh, could possibly hook up, but uh, I still think sixty percent chance he's back with the Yankees. All right, all right, all right. My last question: I'm going to give you my. I want your professional opinion. We've got the the Texas Rangers 
and we got the Detroit Tigers. You've seen both these teams a lot this year. You've seen what they can do. You've seen their pitching. You've seen their offense. Give me your prediction in this, this, this upcoming seven-game series. Yeah, you know, I, as impressed as I was with the Tigers and, and Justin Verlander leading that staff, uh, you know, uh, Texas, there's something about Texas, you know, and especially, you know, their lineup with Hamilton and, and Michael Young, you know, they can bang, they can score a lot of runs. And I think the, the big move Texas made was putting Ogando, Alexi Ogando in the bullpen to go with Natali Feliz. And those two guys at the back end of the game are the nastiest guys going right now. They both throw in the upper, upper 90s, uh, power fastballs. They both have excellent sliders and off-speed pitches to go with that power fastball. So they really reduced the game, kind of like Jimmy we did back in 96, you know, when we had Mariano Rivera in a setup role. Well, you, when, you, when, you get, when Texas gets a lead late in that game, you've got Ogando and, and Feliz closing out that game. Well, those are two of the toughest right-handed power guys in the game going right now, and I give the edge to Texas right now. All right, so you got Texas versus who in the, in the World Series? Well, you know, I still got to stay with the Phillies, you know, until right. somebody knocks them off. Uh, you just cannot bet against the Phillies. They are too deep. Their rotation is that good. Uh, you know, Cliff Lee and Halliday at the top, it keeps going from there with Oswalt and, and of course, Cole Hamels. That, that's just too good a pitching to overlook in postseason. I think you know, Jimmy, how important, you know, pitching is in postseason, along with clutch hitting, like yourself, coming up with a big home run and get, you know, not missing that slider when it's out over the plate. You know, I, I think that's, that's the key to the Yankees. They had some pitches to hit last night, and they missed them. And right, as you know, right. you know, when you got your pitch to hit, you didn't miss it. So that's the key to postseason, being a postseason hero, is when you get a ball to hit, you got to drive it, and you also need the good pitching night in and night out. You have to have depth in your starting rotation, and that was the key to our Yankee teams back then. We had a lot of different guys in the rotation that could step up. I think that uh, Philadelphia has that as well, and you just can't bet against the Phillies. So I see Texas and Philly in the, in the World Series. All right. All right, Coney. I appreciate you coming on. That was David Cohn, everybody. David, I look forward maybe to talking a little bit more with you as this postseason progresses, and we'll see if some of you, some of our predictions will come up uh, just like we think. But I appreciate you giving me the time, and uh, we'll talk soon. Okay, Jimmy. Good luck with everything. All right, Dave. Thanks. All right. That was David Cohn, ladies and gentlemen, and we'll be back after the break with Jeffrey Lyons. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. Do you feel the need for speed? Whatever your addiction, NASCAR, IndyCar, NHRA, Formula One, or even lawnmower racing, Pit Pass USA has got you covered. Larry Henry here, host of Pit Pass USA. I put my 30-plus years of being a motorsports broadcaster to work to bring you not only the best guests, but also the most interesting guests in racing. Pit Pass USA with Larry Henry, your front row seat to the world of racing. Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Sports Channel. Be there or get a DNF. Jim Lahrens is a two-time World Series champion, motivational speaker, and author of Catching Heat, a brutally honest book about the highs and lows of a professional athlete and life after baseball. Most people know Jim as a man who has always beaten the odds. Jim has never forgotten that with hard work, dedication, and God's power, one can overcome anything. Visit JimLayritz.com to get a copy of Jim's book or to schedule Jim for your next corporate fundraiser or event. The address again is JimLayritz.com. Your internet flagship station for sports... 
America Sports. You're inside the King's Corner, talking baseball with Jim Layritz. It's time to hear from you. Call in to our live show at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. You can also send an email to info at jimlayritz.com. Now, back to the show. Hey, welcome back, everybody. As you could just hear right there, David Cohn talking about the New York Yankees and, and of course, their season being over with. And my next guest is a really good personal friend of mine. We got to know each other very, very well during the writing of my book called Catching Heat because it's my co-author, a good friend, and, of course, an avid, I'm talking avid Red Sox fan, uh, Jeffrey Lyons. Jeffrey? Hey, Jim, Welcome to the how show. you doing? And co-author with my brother of three baseball trivia books, so that's, that's what I'm also proud of. But those, those freezing cold January days when we <laughs> pounded out those chapters seem a long time ago, don't they? Oh, yes, they do. <laughs> and the thing that I loved about it, people that, have, that people don't know about Jeffrey, is besides being the famous movie critic, Jeffrey showed up every time to interview me and to talk to me about my book and, and do all the writing every time in either a Boston Red Sox hat, a Boston Red Sox computer, something Boston Red Sox. This oh, is a yeah, man oh, who yeah. is truly been, lives and dies with these Red Sox. Weeks, but you have to love your team whether they, whether they do well or not. Exactly. And well, and of course, Jeffrey, as you can imagine, I'm sure the, the, the New York area is, is going through pretty much the same thing the Red Sox fans went through a couple weeks ago, well, or it, about a week ago. It wasn't ago. a precipitous fall the way only the Red Sox can do, <laughs> but I think the weaknesses in the Yankees showed up. Uh, you know, uh, A-Rod, I think A-Rod's hip has never healed uh, uh, correctly, and I think, uh, or fully, put it that way, and I think the 20 years from now they're going to say he was never the same after that. Uh, it's too bad because he was a great player. Uh, it's, it's possible that I'd be wrong. For his sake, I hope I am. I think that was a glaring, mis- a glaring uh, uh, weakness. And, and Teixeira, you know, he hit 40-something home runs, but he's hitting in the 240s, and that showed up. If you pitch him correctly, you can get him out. Well, yeah, and I think so. I think one of the things that we talked about all season long was, you know, how their offense carried them and, and their right. pitching was the thing. It ended up being their weakness during this series. And you got to just tip your hat, too, to, te- to Detroit because Detroit – went out and they pitched and you know like Coney and I were talking about you know the Yankees had their opportunities they had their right. chances the Detroit pitchers just made their pitches and, and I think that's And when you think gonna... about it except for Cabrera they don't have any big stars I mean uh, Ordonez is is really on the downside uh, and they don't have any marquee players, and yet that's why baseball is such an amazing game because a team without marquee players that pitches better can win, the, can, can win a short series like that. People are telling me they want the series to be best of seven. You can't be playing in November. It's cold enough at the end of the World <laughs> Series. You cannot do that, and I don't know what the answer is. Maybe play more doubleheaders, and I don't want the season shortened. I, I don't know what the answer is, and now they're going to add more wild cards. I mean, they're asking for trouble if they do. It's like holding the Super Bowl in New York, which they're going to do in a couple of years. I'm not going out in that time of year. Well, that's just it. Basically, they're gonna, what they're going to have to do is like they do during the, the, the uh, Super Bowl and pick sites that have indoor stadiums where people can actually sit and watch yeah. a game. Exactly. 
exactly. So exactly. That, that that could be a possibility if they're going to be playing you know, this. Jim, the Red Sox fall was was in a way their, their their own fault, and it hurts me to say this. They had no, they had a black hole in right field. At JD Drew hitting a soft two nineteen. Carl Crawford, maybe you, I don't know how many games you went to this year, but every time I saw Carl Crawford bat, be it on TV or on, uh, or at, at Fenway or at Yankee Stadium, every one of the foul balls he hit was to the opposite field. And that means he's late on every pitch, and he stole 18 bases. Is that laziness? Is that in, you can be, as you know, being a player, you can be lightning fast and not be a good base dealer. You have to know the techniques. But he stole, a, he has stolen 60 bases in earlier years. He stole 18 bases this year. What's that? And the irony is that the home run that Longoria hit, the walk-off home run to get them in the postseason, was hit in a little notch in the left field stands that was carved out and lowered for Carl Crawford. How about that? That's yeah, that's exactly right. And I can't, you know, one of the things I wondered too, because I remember when I left New York and I went to play in Boston, they tried to change my hitting. They tried to make who was, who me use was the that, hitting coach then? That, that back then it was Jim Rice. Jim Ed Rice, really? Jim, oh, wow. Jim Ed Rice, yep. And, uh-huh. and I remember because they wanted me to try to take advantage of that wall. And I wonder if with Carl Crawford, who was predominantly, I thought, a pull hitter mostly with, with Tampa Bay. Yeah. And, you know, and, you know and, and did hit the ball the other way pretty well. But I wonder if they tried to work with him to try to use that wall as well as Wade Boggs I mean, did. Big, big Poppy can do it, and, and Adrian Gonzalez can do it. I'm not sure that Carl Crawford could do it. It was, you know, and Lackey, the Yankees used to have a pitcher named Jim Coates who would always go something like 13 and 13 or 14 and 14, and that's what Lackey was. Every time Lackey pitched, I, I, I just held my breath. He was terrible. And then in, the, in, in between starts, you see him in the dugout laughing. at. If I were having a season like that, I would, I would not be sitting around full of frivolity. You only see him one second of the game. I understand that. And apparently he may have had some personal issues. But I hear now that there was drinking in, the, in between starts. I, don't, I hope that's not true. And poor Daniel Bard had an 11 earned run average in the month of September. I, it's just it's bewildering to me. Well, and you wonder. You look at that. You look at down the stretch. The games they were losing, the way they were losing them. Right. You know, even Papelbon. Even Papelbon right. shares some of that blame. And, and you know, memo that, to Josh Beckett: If you're an ace, win the biggest game of the year, please. No, don't, you're right. You know, win the biggest game of the year, and, not, and don't pitch like a mediocre pitcher. He's a lot better than that. They said he put on some weight. I don't want to sound bitter. I'm not. I love the team. I love being a Red Sox fan. I've listened to the games. I listened to Wakefield's 200th win when I was in Spain. First pitch, 2 a.m. in Madrid. I'm there on my BlackBerry. The place <laughs> where I was staying didn't even have Internet, but my BlackBerry picked it up, and I listened to as much of the game as I can remember before falling asleep. But when, it, when he took seven times, to get to his 200th win, that's when things started. I'm not blaming it on him, but that's when things really started to happen badly for them. Yeah, I think so. I think that's, you know, it was a combination of everything. A couple injuries here and there. You know, it's just, it was one of those things. It was kind of like Murphy's Law. If it could go wrong, it, it went wrong for the Red Sox towards the end there. So. And I feel badly for Theo. And well, I that's feel what I was going to ask you about. I was going to ask you about both him and Terry Francona. Number one, you know, let's, let's, let's talk about Terry first, because I think mm-hmm. Terry... Here's a guy who, you know, brought two championships to a team that hadn't had a championship in 86 years yep. and really was liked by the players. What do you think, Jeffrey? What did you see as far well, as... Well, I remember when Joseph Michael Morgan took over the Red Sox and Jim Rice did kind of a physical challenge to him. And Joe Morgan, who comes up to Jim Rice's belt buckle, now Joe's not a short man, but he's not six, you're not Jim Rice. He right. said, I'm the manager of this nine. 
And I, Terry Francona said that he had lost his voice in the clubhouse, that the players weren't listening to him. And I like to think it was a mutual a parting of the ways. I still don't believe it. I think he's a very honorable man, and I wish he hadn't uh, left. I hope Dave Magadan uh, is still going to be there because a lot of the – who knew Jacoby Ellsbury was going to be the first 30-30 player in Red Sox history? And even Big Poppy didn't hit 30 home runs, but he had a fine year. And Adrian Gonzalez, of course, was great most of the year. Didn't quite hit as many home runs as I would hope that a big strapping first baseman would hit. But he was—he had a lot of multi-hit, multi-homer games, and and uh, it, Terry Francona did take the blame for it. And I think he's a very honorable man. I thought he was going to get the White Sox job, and of course that went to Robin Ventura with no experience. You know, who I'm pulling for for to get the job. I don't know if it'll happen or not. Uh, my buddy Don Baylor, uh, who's the hitting coach of the uh, Arizona Diamondbacks and has experience managing the Cubs and, and of course, got the Rockies into the playoffs in 95, yep. I think it was, something like that. And he'd, he'd be great. So it's just a sad state of affairs. And you hear rumors that the Cubs are interested in Theo Epstein. I don't think he's going anywhere. I'd be surprised. Well, that's what I was going to ask you next. Theo Epstein, who has been the centerpiece of all this re- return of the Red Sox dominance, return of the Red Sox to the World Series championships. Here's a guy that, you know, it, 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 you know he, he is the uh, – the ultimate GM right now. Yeah, what do he's you think? What do you think he's he going to do? Is. And he, he 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 performed a miracle. But this was also the team that he put on on the field this year. And everybody thought. I remember on uh, MLB TV, uh, the the guy who used to be the general manager of the, the of the Indians. Uh, he said, uh, John Hart. The, yeah, John Hart. Yeah, he said that 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 the the Red Sox clearly clearly won the off season, and they did. And they were, they were supposed to be a lock. And I don't think, I think some of it was his fault. It's just very hard to define who's at fault here. Anybody beyond the players, all of whom just went into a funk in September. Right. Now, being a huge baseball fan, of course, what did you think? I mean, the end of this season, the postseason so far, what, what do you think? Well, I have to confess, I was so upset at the Red Sox demise that I didn't start watching until the middle of the Yankee series. And I did, I did watch the Diamondbacks because I'm rooting for them. Uh, I think Milwaukee's a fine team. It would be great if the Diamondbacks won. Uh, you can't, you, you can't uh, uh, not pick Philadelphia, though. I think David Cohn said the same thing, right, that they have, a, they have those three great starters, two Hall of Famers, future Hall of Famers, and with Cole Hamels, uh, perhaps another one. I, I think the Phillies are the team to beat, but I'd love to see the Diamondbacks in the World Series. It would be great for Don Baylor. Well, let me ask you a question too on that. As far as when you look at when you look at the Diamondbacks, when you look at that kind of a team, do you think with the when we talk about when you have success as a manager, it's the people you surround yourself with, mm-hmm. the quality of people that Kurt Gibson has around him. Yep. You know what? What, what do you think about well, that? I think he's gotten the, he's he he's done the right thing. He's put experienced people around him. And I think that's just what um, Robin Ventura is going to have to do. He never managed anywhere before. I don't think I, I. I think Kirk Gibson had managed in the minors. I could be mistaken, but I think he did. But I know that Robin Ventura never has. And the answer is, if look, if I were made a manager tomorrow, I would have people like you and 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 Don Baylor and people like that as my bench coach, as my hitting coach, and people to advise you. That's like you're the president of the United States. You have advisors around you. And I think he's got he's gone an awfully long way. Nobody picked the Diamondbacks this year. And I think he's, and I'm sure, or at least I hope so, all those Diamondback players who were too young to remember Kirk Gibson's famous home run have seen it and are inspired by it. Then, yeah, they may be playing over their heads. That's why I'm rooting for them. 
All right, Jeffrey, we, you can stay around with us for this. We're going to take a little break here. We'll come right back. Absolutely, Jim. All right, we'll talk to you in just a minute. For the king, a former Red Sox, of course. <laughs> okay. We will be right back with Jeffrey Lyons talking more baseball, talking about Jeffrey's book, the book that we wrote together, and everything else that has to do with baseball. Internet flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports. Jim Lawrence is a two-time World Series champion, motivational speaker, and author of Catching Heat, a brutally honest book about the highs and lows of a professional athlete and life after baseball. Most people know Jim as a man who has always beaten the odds. Jim has never forgotten that with hard work, dedication, and God's power, one can overcome anything. Visit JimLayritz.com to get a copy of Jim's book or to schedule Jim for your next corporate fundraiser or event. The address again is JimLayritz.com. Okay, sports fans, here's your opportunity to discuss football, America's favorite sport. On an annual basis, millions of people attend, watch, and listen to football, both pro and college. Ray Ellis Sports, an internet talk radio show, was developed with the fan in mind. Join host, former Philadelphia Eagles and Cleveland Browns strong safety, Ray Ellis, on Voice America Sports every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific for exciting, interactive football discussions from the fans' perspective. Tune in every Tuesday at at 1 p.m. Pacific to Ray Ellis Sports right here on the Voice America Network and let's talk football. The opening kickoff is a beauty. It's a fly ball deep right field. That goes O'Neal. He's a tough shot. Got it. With 2.8 seconds left to left. I don't care where they put him. This one is out of here. From high school to the pros, we, we cover everything. Let your voice be heard. Voice America Sports. You're inside the King's Corner, talking baseball with Jim Layritz. It's time to hear from you. Call in to our live show at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. You can also send an email to info at jimlayritz.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everybody. We are here with Jeffrey Lyons, movie critic, Boston Red Sox fan, baseball expert, expert, and of course, author. And uh, Jeffrey, we talked a little bit about uh, some some of the books you've written. Of course, you and I wrote a book together called Catching Heat. But tell me a little bit about the book that you just wrote. Well, Jim, about... you're the baseball expert because anybody who played <laughs> in baseball in the major leagues or even minor league ball is an expert. Those of us who only played a little bit in college and wrote about baseball and know the history, you see it on a very different level. I mean, you can see things that the average person can't see. So let's put it in perspective. My dad, meanwhile, was Leonard Lyons, who was a famous, in his day, Broadway columnist. He wrote The Lion's Den. That was a 1,000 words a day, six days a week for 40 years. And wow. he would go around to restaurants in the afternoon, and he would sit with the great people of that time, and they would tell him either news items Orson Welles would say, Lenny, I'm going to be in a new movie. That's a one-time-only item that is old news the next day. But then he, they, they might tell him an anecdote, a funny story, an interesting incident that happened to them, something like that. And those are the things I culled from the column. 
But meanwhile, he would come on, write the column in the afternoon and turn it in, as did his competitors, Ed Sullivan, all the other columnists. They were finished at 6 o'clock. He went out again at night and went to 13 other places at night to get the nighttime crowd, the, the Duke of Windsor, of, of LBJ, young John Kennedy. Those guys. Then he'd come home at 1 o'clock in the morning, and he'd update the column uh, that he had handed in at 6 o'clock, piecemeal, to painstakingly dictating every single item that he had every single word that the a rewrite man would then insert in the column to make it even more uh, newsworthy and up to date and he never used the word celebrity he said i'd write about my sister in brooklyn if she's newsworthy and he did and the column uh, lasted from 1934 to 1974 and it gave you a, 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 a it gives you a cross section of what new york life was like then and it also took him all around the world I assume you've seen the movie, for example, A Bridge on the River Kwai. Yes, I have. My father pushed the plunger. He was on the set with his friend Sam Spiegel, and David Lean gave him the signal after first stopping him at the last minute and putting much more dynamite in than that was needed to blow up the bridge. And uh, he, he, was in, you know, uh, he was in Egypt when Americans couldn't go there, when a Jewish man couldn't go there. And we have a picture of him with Nasser, who was the Saddam Hussein of the 1950s, and it's funny, there was a story that, <laughs> that when Hilton Hotels were opening around the world, they'd invited the press, and they invited my, my father to go to Egypt for the opening of the Cairo Hilton, and it was February 22nd, and Hilton walked in, Conrad Hilton, about whom people used to say, I knew him when his hair was white. Anyway, they would <laughs> come in, and Nasser came in afterwards, and Hilton said, it's more than a coincidence that we're here on George Washington's birthday, for he and Colonel Nasser have a lot in common. That kind of shook everybody up. And my father wrote, quoting the old baseball adage about the Washington Senators, you know, first in war, first in peace, first, last in the American League. Well, right. my father wrote, Nasser was never first in war. In fact, he carries an Israeli bullet in his rear end, and you don't get shot there by advancing. And he was, <laughs> he was never invited again to a hill. I mean, those are the kind of things that are all through the book. Stories on the Marx Brothers, on Richard Burton, on JFK, on Winston Churchill. I didn't know my parents had tea with Winston Churchill at 10 Downing Street. My oh, yeah. Was, so, yeah, some of the stories in there are amazing. Yeah, I mean, he went out for football at the High School of Commerce, and they lined him up against a young boy named Henry in a tackling drill. And the boy was slightly larger because his middle name was Lewis and his last name was Gehrig. And one tackle, and my father was on the swimming team. Okay. Uh, so uh, there are all, all kinds of stories like that. He went to the Kennedy White House, and it said, decorations will be worn. It was a white tie dinner. And... He wore the only prize he ever won. It was a, the Spanish prize in the sixth grade at public school 160 on the Lower East Side. And it was uh -huh. proudly worn in his lapel. But stuff like that. Orson Welles was his best friend. Uh, and we knew everybody. We were Hemingway's house guests in Cuba. Uh, he taught me how to fire a gun. He took me to uh, the, the highlight games. He changed my life, uh, my friendship with Hemingway, because I speak Spanish because of him. And I've been to Spain 25 times. So it was an amazing life. And, you know, my dad was a lawyer by training, and my mother spoke Spanish, and the Trumans had them at the White House on the last night. And uh, at the beginning of the meal, he appointed my father a federal judge and my mother ambassador to Mexico, and they resigned at dessert. And that's oh, not okay. that's from the slums <laughs> of the Lower East Side. All right, good, good. Yeah. So you know that this this is the first book that's out, and now I understand you're working on more stories Absolutely. for a second edition. All sorts of other people who w would have made the book too heavy. It would have been a coffee table book, which nobody reads. They put it on your coffee table, and it sits there. 
So I have more stories on Toot Shore, who owned New York's famous uh, restaurant where Gleason and Sinatra and DiMaggio and all the b- boxing champs, every athlete hung out at Toot Shore. If you'd been 30 years older, Jim, you would have been at Toot Shore's every day, either after or before the game. And uh, uh, stories on Adlai Stevenson and Eisenhower and Errol Flynn. And, and in the back of the book that's out now, I have a dozen of my interviews with uh, Penelope Cruz, with Michael Caine, with Ben Kingsley, with Javier Bardem, with Antonio Banderas, with uh, the late George Carlin, with uh, Ben Kingsley, with all of about 15 of William Shatner, Kate Blanchett, because when I was at NBC, I did long, long interviews with them, and I called them and, and, and made them cohesive and made them into, so you, you get the feeling you know things about these people that no one else was able to dig up, and I'm very proud of that. That's awesome. That's awesome. Okay, we got about one more minute to go. I'm going to ask you just real quick. I'm going to see the Money Moneyball tonight, or the movie Moneyball tonight. I know you've seen it as the movie critic. Tell me what you thought. I was disappointed. First of all, as a baseball fan, it didn't tell me anything I didn't know. It's ten-year-old news, and they never won. And they never won. It's also for a moviegoers fan. They may like it if they know nothing about baseball. But it's a movie about somebody who believes in a, in a theory of numbers, and to make that cinematic is difficult. And I found it a, a, a rather tedious film. I was surprised at that. I really wanted to like it. I did like the uh, baseball sequences. And my son Ben on the E Channel interviewed the real Scott Hatterberg. He said, "Hey, you, my dad and I were in the Red Sox radio booth when you hit one off the scoreboard at Shea Stadium." Hatterberg couldn't believe that he remembered that. The baseball sequences are done very well. The rest of the film was disappointing to me. All right. Well, I look forward to hopefully to seeing it. Of course, like you said, I've been in that field before. I've, I saw some of the stuff going on. Mm-hmm. I don't necessarily agree with the new, the new way of no. uh, GMing and, and managing, but Sometimes we'll see what happens. But Jeffrey, I, what's that? Sometimes it's just sea ball hit ball. Exactly. Make it easy. Right. So no. Jeffrey, listen, I appreciate you giving us your time today. Continued success. Let's do something around Oscar time. Yes, definitely. Definitely. I'll be All out right. here in LA and I look forward to seeing you. We'll definitely stay right. in touch. But thank you very much for your time. And of course, uh, it's going to be an interesting offseason for your Red Sox. We'll right. And thank that. you for the home run you hit for the Red Sox when I was walking <laughs> around on a golf course following my son. <laughs> All right, Jeffrey. You have a good day, buddy. Bye-bye. All right. Thank you. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that was Jeffrey Lyons, of course, famous movie critic. I am really interested to see what's going to happen tonight when I go see this money, money, or the movie Moneyball. Uh, like I said, I'm not a true believer in Billy Bean and, and his whole theory, but I'm uh, going to be curious to see what they did on the big screen with it. Of course, earlier we talked to David Cohn. We talked about the, the New York Yankees and what, what this is going to be this offseason for them and what they're going to be like. And, just want to let everybody know, listen, thank you. This is the first show. Like I said, every Friday, you can hear me from 9 o'clock to 10 o'clock Pacific time, 11 to 12 Central, and, of course, 12 to 1 on all you boys of my, in New York on the East Coast. So, listen, once again, next week from 9 o'clock to 10, we want to, we want to take your calls, your emails, put it in your calendar, put it in your book. Call me at one 346 9144 or email me at info at We will be talking more baseball. We will be, of course, probably through halfway through the ALCS and the NLCS. Tonight, tune in because you're going to see two great game fives. We'll be talking about that next week also. And who knows, like we said before, there's going to be a hero that comes out of this. Who will it be? I don't think it's going to be the big name. I think it's going to be someone 
maybe coming off the bench, maybe a part-time catcher, who knows. But, hey, listen, I want to thank you. I want to thank all my fans for tuning in. Next week, we will have a couple more guests. State, go to voiceamerica.com. You will be able to see the upcoming guests that we have. Again, send your emails, phone calls. Come in. Give me your opinions. I want, to be, I want you to be heard, too, because, like I said, I have my opinion. I want to hear yours also. Thank you so much, and I hope everyone has a great day. See you next week. We're safe for another week. Thanks for tuning in to the King's Corner, talking baseball with your host, Jim Layritz. We can't wait to have you come back next Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time, on the Voice America Sports Channel. Have a great weekend. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.